If you have your Bibles, and some of you have your cell phones and you'd like to have that uh, pulled up, it is Genesis chapter 37 that I'm going to be reading from in just a few moments. So Genesis chapter 37, if you want to find that on your phone and your Bible app, or if you want to find that in your scriptures, if you brought a hard copy, uh, I'll be reading from Genesis chapter 37, beginning in verse 12. Let me say... We've only got a couple of weeks today and then next week as we finish up our lion-hearted teaching series, Living Beyond Your Fears. And if you followed along, you know that it is not about the fears that we have outside. It's most about those things that are going on inside us that keep us from attempting and trying to be the very best that we can possibly be. We've been talking about being lion-hearted in these things that we face. Now let's go to this next slide and check this out. Yes, this is a butterfly. I'm sorry about the little mess up there. Now, how many of you guys know that there is a butterfly museum here in Houston, Texas? How many of you guys knew that? How many of you have been there before? Can I see your hands? It's really beautiful, isn't it? Now, I, y'all forgive me. I would rather go to football stadiums and baseball arenas and, you know, baseball diamonds and stuff like that. But I had three daughters And so I didn't get to choose to take them to sporting events as much as they were like, Butterfly Museum, Daddy. And so guess what? I went. Now, if it makes you feel better about me, I didn't have a good time at all. Uh, But I'm just saying it was a beautiful thing if you're into that sort of thing, okay? But here's the thing. It is really a beautiful thing. But how many of you guys have ever heard of the butterfly effect? Have you all heard of the butterfly effect? The idea is, is that there, there's so much interconnectivity in this world that chaos on one side of the world can be caused by just the simple flapping of a butterfly's wings on the other side of the world. We'll talk a little bit about where that came from, where that theory kind of got hatched, but the butterfly effect in your life that we're starting off with today is... If you've ever had a butterfly land on you or flap its wings when it's close to you, you don't feel a single thing. But the idea of a butterfly effect is the very smallest, most minuscule changes can make big dramatic differences and big dramatic impacts on the things that are going on. And let me just say something. As a guy who has been married for over 30 years, all right, now normally you guys kind of clap for me, y'all go ahead, go ahead, clap for me, mainly clap for Shelly, that woman is a saint, amen, (laughs) I know, I know, well here's the deal, as a man who has lived with the same woman for 30 years of marriage and then the dating time that we had together and all that stuff, I've come to realize that the smallest little changes in your relationship can make a big difference and a big impact. There are there any of y'all who have been married a while that can give me an amen? You know what I'm talking about, right? I mean, it's the little things. It's like a little change in the tone of voice can make the difference between a good night and a very bad night. Can I get an amen? Is that, I mean, you know what I'm talking about, right? Or what about with your kids? Just a little bit of a change in the way that you deal with your kids can make a huge impact in the way that they respond and listen to you and react in the way that you want them to rather than that adversarial thing that they get going so easily. You know what I'm talking about. They're, they're gone. We can all say amen to that, right? Okay, so the butterfly effect is the smallest little change that makes such a big impact on the things that we experience. Now, let's move on to this next slide, and you can check this out. This is the book that we've been talking about, In a Pit with a Lion on a Snowy Day. In the next slide, if you go to it, you can see it is based out of 1 Chronicles chapter 11, as well as the parallel passage from 2 Samuel. But here's the deal. I actually went through and put a number one, number two, and number three on here, but that's basically all that I changed from this passage of scripture that we've put up on a slide probably for the last six weeks or so. And it is basically this. It's about a man named Benaniah who chased down a lion, went into the pit that the lion had run away from him on, I guess. And he chased him down into the pit on a snowy day, and he actually killed that lion. This is the whole lion-hearted thing. But I want you to notice something. If you go a little further down, and you just leave it there if you don't mind. But if you go a little further down and you look into what happened, they talk a lot about how Benaniah became famous. 
became revered, became respected, and eventually became a part of the bodyguard for King David, another giant killer himself. And also, he became the person who became a commander-in-chief, so to speak, of the armies. And so if you look at this guy, these are the only things that we know about him. Now, clearly he's got other things in his life that were going on. But I want you to just notice something. First, he struck down Moab's two mightiest warriors. So the two best guys from that place got, got done in by the same guy. That was Benaniah. Good job, Benaniah. Number two, he went down into a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion. That's a boss line, isn't it? I mean, you can, you can tell people the lie that your pastor followed a lion into a pit on a snowy day and killed it anytime you want. I'm giving you permission to lie. It's just so cool. Number three, he struck down an Egyptian who is five cubits tall, and basically five cubits tall is seven foot six. He's basically an, a size of Goliath, and he killed that guy. Here's the thing that I'm trying to convey to you. I believe in our lives sometimes... It is not this, you know, every single day you've got to do something great and something amazing. Most of us have very, very bland and normal days, followed by normal day, followed by normal day, followed by the very rare and very occasional opportunity to be very brave, make one or two good decisions, and make the, make the most out of that for the rest of your life. I have said, I'm not a, a financial advisor by any stretch of the imagination. We're going to talk a little bit about finances in a minute, but the idea of me being a financial advisor is not the thing. But here is the truth. I have said and continue to believe that really you can make a, a, a great life for yourself financially by making one or two or maybe three really good decisions, and it can carry you from that point forward to a place of having financial security. I don't know. I got a, I've got an accountant in the house, and I don't know if he's going to like say, yes, Randy, you're right, but I'm, I'm not, it, did you give me a thumbs up? Oh, okay, thank you very much. You here have heard from a CPA and me that um, basically one or two good decisions, three good decisions can change your financial future. And I think it's the same way in your spiritual life. It's the same way with your kids. Can I tell you, I've raised three kids that are all out to school and grad school at this point. They're gone to college. And I'm telling you, they probably remember a lot of very, very, very bland days, but a few things that stood out. And that makes me, in their mind and in their sight, a dad who loves them very much. One or two or three good decisions can change everything for you. That's kind of the butterfly effect. And I encourage you, as we deal with this today, to make sure that you're making the most of those opportunities. Now, let's go to this next slide. And I want to talk a little bit about the story of Joseph. And if you remember, back in the year of 2019, every summer, I take a biblical character. And I talk about their life for a good long time. We go diving deep. Um, in 2020, it was Elijah. This year, it was Esther. Uh, in 2019, it was Joseph. And we titled that lesson from dreams to destiny. And his story is the one that we're going to look at today and how he made some really good decisions among the very bad ones that got made for him. And we can see some things that I believe could kind of put us on a brand new path. So let's take a look at his story. Let's go to this next line. Uh, if you see the story of Joseph and you start talking about the bullet points of it, here are a few. If you remember that uh, that teaching series, or if you know the story of Jacob, you probably remember Joseph and the amazing Technicolor coat. Do you guys remember that? The whole coat of many colors back in the day in Sunday school. Um, Joseph was spoiled. He was daddy's favorite. And that's cool if you're daddy's favorite, but it ain't cool if you're all the others. Can I get an amen, right? I mean, that ain't good. So he was spoiled. He didn't have to work, but his brothers did. He got a nice, beautiful coat that was probably incredibly expensive, and they got nothing. <laughs> they got told to get out there and do the work. But he couldn't even work in this coat. It was so tremendous and beautiful and luxurious, basically. And so he was daddy's favorite, and he was hated by his brothers. By the way, the 12 tribes of Israel get their name from his brothers, like the name Judah, and the name Issachar, and the name Zebulun, and Reuben, and Gad, and Asher, and Manasseh, and all those other men that became the 12 tribes of Israel. 
They were so angry with him and so jealous of him, so frustrated by him, that they could not even stand to look at him. And eventually, they grabbed him, threw him in a well that was dry, left him there to die, but then pulled him out with their merciful side, and they sold him into slavery, basically for next to nothing. Now, that's where we pick up this story in Genesis chapter 37, and I want to talk a little, about, a little bit about Joseph's story, and then we'll learn some lessons. So, beginning in Genesis 37, verse 12, but they, that means his brothers, saw Joseph in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer. Oh, by the way, by the way, Joseph had told them, I had a dream and they're like, okay, well, we don't really care because we don't like you. And he's like, let me tell you what my dream was. There was a star in the middle of a bunch of little bitty stars. It was one star surrounded by 11 other stars. And basically, all of those stars bowed down. And they're like, hmm, let's see. Sigmund Freud doesn't have to show up to tell us what he's saying. He's saying all of us are going to bow down to him eventually. And he told them a very similar story twice in two different dreams. So they started referring to him as the dreamer, right? And so they said, here comes that dreamer. And then they said to each other in verse 20, come now. Let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. And then we're going to see what becomes of his dreams. Now, let me just say something real quick. If you are plotting to kill a member of your family, you have some issues that run deeper than that thing that they are bringing out in you, right? You guys understand what I'm saying. They've got issues going on, but he is not making it any easier, He's not easy to get along with, not easy to love. And so this is just a sign of how dysfunctional everything's become. And Joseph comes to his brothers. They stripped him of his robe. Notice that's the very first thing they do. They strip his robe off of him. No more daddy's favorite anymore. Here goes the robe. They take off his robe and they took him, threw him into that cistern, planning to pull him out and kill him. And they said the, the cistern was empty. There was no water. So they sit down and eat their meal and look and see a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels loaded with spices, balm, myrrh. They were on their way to go to Egypt. And then verse 26, Judah, one of the brothers, says to his other brothers, what are we going to gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's take him out and sell him to the Ishmaelite traders and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. And so all of his brothers agreed. So the Midianite merchants came by. Their brothers pulled Joseph out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. Now, I know that you don't have to really be a math whiz to figure out. Basically, each one of them got one shekel of silver, which was not very much money. Every single one of them just wanted him out of their life so desperately and so bad that they didn't really care what they got. They just wanted to get rid of him. And then in verse 31, as we skip down, they got Joseph's robe and they slaughtered a goat and dipped that robe in blood. And they took the ornate robe back to their father and said, hey, dad, we found this. Examine it to see whether it is your son's robe. Now, can I just hit pause real quick? Man, there's some dysfunction going on here. Can you imagine telling your mother or father that their child was dead and pretending it even when you knew it wasn't true? Man, that's some low-life business, isn't it? That's rough. And they watched him break down, cry like he'd never cried before, and every single one of them kept their mouth shut and just said, well, don't say a word. Going down to verse 33 Jacob recognized the robe and said, it is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. And then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and mourned for his son for many days. They had many days to tell him the truth, and not a single one of them did. Not a single day did they ever give in. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, and he refused to be comforted. No, he said, I will continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave. And so his father wept for him. This is 
all of Joseph's backstory, and there's so much going on here. But there are more points because this is not where Joseph's life ends. Let's go to this next slide and check this out. Oh, yeah, there's something to learn. Say right there if you don't mind. The 12 tribes of Israel were actually families beginning with the 12 sons of Jacob, whose name was later changed to Israel after he came face to face with God. Some th- say it was in a dream. Some say it was just what happened late, late at night. And so you can definitely check out that story in the book of Genesis if you choose to. But it is really, truly a reminder that no matter how clear we are that we are God's children and God's people, we still have family drama. Can I get an amen on that? I mean, you've heard of it. I know not you, but you've heard of family drama. Amen, right? So there you go. It doesn't matter. It doesn't distinguish. It doesn't mean when we're Christians that we get to avoid this stuff. It's just what happens. Let's go to this next slide. And so you've heard of this first three things, but here's what happens. As Joseph gets sent down to Egypt, he becomes a ruler or a steward in Potiphar's house. He becomes the main guy as he is there. And unfortunately, Joseph is cursed with being a handsome guy. I think all of us men, we understand the curse that it is to be incredibly handsome and devastatingly attractive. It's hard, amen? It's hard. But here's the deal. Joseph was handsome, caught the wife's attention, and the wife says, well, I tell you what, Joseph looks pretty good, and, the da- uh, and my husband's not always a- around. And so she gets it in her mind that they will be together. You know, be together, be together. And so she is paying attention to him, but he will not do that. But here's what happens. When he resists her advances, she became so enraged that she screams out and says, he tried to rape me. This slave came to my own room and tried to rape me. And so the slave, Joseph, our man, is thrown into jail for not sleeping with his master's wife. Man, that's crazy, right? I mean, how easy would it have been for Joseph to just say, I'm going to get the bad name anyway. I may as well. But he did not. And so he was thrown in prison for attempted rape. There in prison, he is there for years. And in the process of that time in prison, some come and some go. And two that come, one is, is the baker for the king, the Pharaoh, and then the other is the cupbearer. You see, back in those days, if you were a Pharaoh or a ruler, you had to be very, very careful because anybody who killed you probably would ascend the throne and take your spot. And so what they had was they had what they called cupbearers, and they would bring in a cup of wine or whatever drink it was, and they would give it to a cupbearer, and he would drink that drink. And if he lived, then they would pass the cup to the Pharaoh or to the king. If he went, and then he went, then the, then the cupbearer was gone, but the king was still alive. Not exactly the job for job security, right? You understand what I'm saying. And so the cupbearer and the baker both come through in the time that Joseph is in prison. They have a dream. He interprets their dreams, and they're spot on. And when that all happens, Joseph says, but listen, if you do get restored, like I'm saying, don't forget I'm here and I'm innocent. He's probably literally the only guy in prison that was actually innocent of the crime, but everybody's innocent in prison. And so in that two years afterwards, the baker who was restored forgets Joseph and Joseph is just sitting there going, what have I done and where is God in all of this? Now y'all hang with me, hang with me. We're just about to the story that I want to share with you guys and some of the lessons that we can learn with it. Let's go to this next slide. How many of you guys recognize this? We all recognize this, right? I mean, this is the stock market. You know, you, you kind of see this and you see how the stock market goes. And let's be very clear. The jagged line is the actual line day by day by day by day. And the other just gives us an overall sense of it. Now, let's go to this next slide very quickly. And you also know if you read this, you know that as this line is going up, that means that you get more dollars or you're gaining in value. Everybody with me? Y'all understand what I'm saying, right? Okay, so what is the blue line? What does the blue line stand for, you guys? On the count of three, ready? One, two, three. 
Yeah, very good. It's time. So the longer the time goes, the more value that you gain. Like I said, I'm not a financial advisor, and past performance does not reflect future gains and earnings, right? Okay, so here you go. Time is true. But can I ask you guys a question? I'm not asking for the financial side, but imagine that this was your life timeline, and there's positives and there's negatives. There's ups and there's down. There's mountaintops and there's valleys. Now, take a look at that. You see how the value of your life goes up, but then something terrible or negative happens, and the thing that you feel that your life, the value that you think you have begins to diminish and go down. And then it rises again. And then you have another issue or problem or struggle, difficult day, difficult season, and the value that you place on yourself begins to diminish again. Now, here's what I would like to share with you. We've all had difficult days. We've all had tough times. But for most of us, for many of us, our life is consistently moving in a positive direction. But how many of you know that you can get stuck in your life? I'm not asking if you've been there before. I'm not asking you if you're there now. But you've heard of a friend that got stuck, a friend that got stuck, and then just got stuck in a rut that they never got out of. Something that happened to them that they never got past. Something that defined them for the rest of their days. Right? We've been there. We've seen that. We've had that experience ourselves. We felt the gravity pulling us back into that when we've been in some of those valleys or difficult times. So can I ask you guys a question? This is the big question kind of that I'm going to get to other big questions later. But here's the thing. What happens if you stop? where the red line is. You are missing out on so much more. So much more that is positive. So much more that brings value. So much more that brings worth. If you get stuck in these ruts and will not allow joy, happiness, purpose, meaning, fulfillment, all of these things that God places in your life, if you get stuck in one of these ruts and say, man, I've had it, I came out of that rut that one time and I took so much energy doing that that I'm finally in another spot and it looked like things were going good and then I fell back down into another valley and now I'm just done and this is where I stay. Now, I don't think that we often say those words, but we have that conversation inside sometimes. Our heart, we're just simply done. We've been hurt too many times. We've gotten jaded. We've gotten kind of where we don't believe that it's ever going to happen for us, and we just stop moving. Now, I want to just go to this next slide very quickly. This is the story of Joseph. All of these things are totally true. Every single one that we've just had the conversation about, except for that very last line, What happens is Pharaoh's baker is restored and Pharaoh has a dream and nobody in the whole kingdom can interpret it. And the baker goes, can I just give you the new Texas? Oh man, I'm so stupid. I cannot believe this. Two years ago, you Pharaoh threw my friend and I in jail and the cupbearer that, you know, you've got a new guy now because the other guy is dead. There was a guy in prison that predicted that that would happen. And he also predicted that I had a dream as well. And he said, I would come and I would become baker and I'd be restored to my position. That's exactly what would happen. And so it all happened in that way, just like that. And so as he is restored, he says, now I remember. And they said, nobody can interpret the dream. Well, let's give a shot to the guy in prison. And so then Pharaoh sends for our guy, Joseph who's sitting in prison just like any other day, they bang on the door and say, hey, come in here, shave your beard, get yourself a clean set of clothes on and wash yourself because, man, you smell like prison, and we're going to go see Pharaoh today. Can you imagine? He's like, what? 
Are you kidding? That's really happening? And it did. It did. He was an overnight success <laughs> that was years and years and years in the making. So here is the question that I want to kind of talk a little bit more. Let's go to this next slide. How many of you have ever heard of this guy? <laughs> you might be thinking to yourself, Randy, that overnight success business, that only happens in the Bible. That doesn't happen in real life. I'm glad I pretended you said that because here is the truth. The truth is this stuff does happen. Look at this. In 1832, he lost a job. He was defeated for the legislator in that same year and then failed in business and went bankrupt in 1833. He was elected to the legislature in 1834, but then in 1835, he lost his first love. And then in 1836, he had a nervous breakdown himself. He was defeated for Speaker of the House, defeated for a nomination for Congress, elected to Congress finally in 1846. He finally gets an upswing, but then he lost two years later for the renomination. He was rejected for land officer, then defeated for the Senate, defeated for the nomination for vice president, defeated for the Senate again, and then in two short years later, Abraham Lincoln was elected and then re-elected as president. Now, can I ask you guys a question? How many of y'all have ever heard that before? Have y'all ever heard that before? This is true. This is true. So where would you have stopped? I'm just curious. Because the only thing that got Lincoln onto our consciousness, and by the way, he's got every single quote on the internet. If it's profound, he said it, according to the internet, right? So here's the truth. This guy changed the face of our entire nation. And he had so many chances to quit. And not a single one of us would have blamed him. Not a single one. We would have looked at him and gone, yeah, man, it's rough. <laughs> Better you than me. I'm sorry, but yeah, it's really bad out there. And yet he kept going and he kept persevering and he kept moving. Just like our man Joseph. So many parallels. Let's go to this next slide and check this out. In Genesis chapter 39, there are a couple of verses, and then in Genesis chapter 41. And now I want to just really apply some of these things. I've set these things up in place, so follow me on this. If you look at these passages of Scripture, many of us have missed this. The Bible tells us that the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. The Lord was with Joseph right before that woman accused him of attempted rape, and it was not true. The Lord was with Joseph. And then guess what? While Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was what? He was with him. And he showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So not only was the Lord with Joseph when he was accused of the rape that he did not commit, he was also with him in the prison when he thought everybody had turned their back and forgotten all about them. And then Pharaoh asked everyone, can we find anyone like this man, Joseph, one in whom is the spirit of God or the spirit of the gods? Maybe you might explain it in that way. This man who didn't believe in the one true God was probably a man who thought there were many gods. As he looks at Joseph, he's like something different about this one because God was with him. Now go to this next slide and check this out. We think, don't we? That any time the negative happens, that that's when God steps off the stage and he's not around. But then in the mountaintop, now God's back. God's back with me. He's back on my side. And then we have another downturn in another valley and we're like, where's God? What did I do to run God off? Oh, I got to get him back in my life. And then we have another upswing and we're like, oh, he's back. Good things come when God comes back. Right? That's what we think. Even if it's not what we believe, it is exactly what we tend to think. What did I do to scare God off? Can I tell you something? This is so very important. That you understand that just as God is with you on all those gold star moments, when you're at the peaks, God is just as much with you and just as much in control in your life whenever the black, the black stars are going on too. Because God is always with you and he never leaves you and never forsakes you. And God is up to something even when it feels like you are all alone. 
So here's what I would share with you today. If you are a person who says, man, it feels like God has left me and no one cares, I'm here with good news. God has not left you, even if you think that. He is always with you. And just because it is a dark day or a dark season or a dark time in your life, in your relationship, in your finances, in your job, in your own spiritual, in your own mental things that are going on or whatever else it might be, God has not left. God is still there. If you guys can give me an amen that I can keep moving, give me an amen, right? So here is the truth. As we go through our life, as time goes by, God does not leave. It is us and our circumstances that change, but God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And for that, we give him praise. Let's go on to this next slide, and this is the big idea. Loss is a part of every lion heart's life. It's just never the most important part. Never. If you're going to live a lion-hearted life, you have to say, that happened I'm not afraid of that. I'm not afraid of what I used to be or what I have gone through. I'm not afraid of where I came from. I'm not afraid or embarrassed or ashamed of the things that used to be the defining parts of my life. But here's what I would say. For all of us, when we say, oh, I'm over it, <laughs> I'm over it, and then you're like, no, I'm not really over it. Don't talk about it because I ain't over it. We understand. We like to pretend we're over it, but we're not. Can I tell you something? For most of us, we don't get over it. We incorporate it into our new normal. And when we do that, and God is the one who explains and redeems those things, it is cap we are capable of being able to move forward. And every person who lives a lion-hearted life, who is brave, who is getting out there and living their very best life, they have had those problems and loss in their past. It's just it's not the important thing that defines them anymore. It got repurposed and recycled and redeemed by God, and it is never the most important part of their story. It's just a part of the story. You guys understand what I'm saying? And so as we move on here, let's, we're going to share this. We're going to say this out loud. Loss is every part or is part of every lion-hearted life, just never the most important part. Would you guys say that with me? And I'm going to say it exactly like it's written this time. Here we go. Loss is part of every lion heart's life, just never the most important part. Let's go on to this next slide. Making a mistake does not make you a mistake. And you can fail without being a failure. The difference is how you react and when you stop. Let's go back to our guys, old honest Abe and Joseph. And if they stopped and got in a rut, then their story would not be the amazing dynamic challenge to all of us that it is. If Abraham Lincoln finally said, you know what, I've lost so many bids for public office, I am not going to embarrass myself on a national level. I'm not even running for president. You would never have known his name. I believe him to be the best president that we've ever had, bar none and by far. And the truth is, is he could have stopped, but he chose not to. So by not stopping and not reacting like those failures made him a failure, that he kept moving and kept going, and the rest of the story was able to be written. Let's go to this next slide. And in the sense of destiny, oh, I don't know who, can you go to this next slide? All right, yeah, let's go right there. The five big ideas, and by the way, Five big ideas. How dare you, unvolution.net. Five big ideas. Those are my things, right? The big idea thing is mine. All right, so here's what we see from Martin Seligman. He wrote a book called Learned Optimism. This is so important. If you're a person who believes that optimism is something that you are born with or not, good news, you can learn it. So as we look at this here, he says these things, and an optimistic explanatory style stops helplessness where a pessimistic explanatory style spreads helplessness. Let's go to this slide here, and I think, I believe it's number 18 and number 19. Uh, maybe I got them right, maybe I did not. Is there one before that? 
Oh, I think I messed this up. Anyway, let me just go ahead and share with you. Mark Batterson basically tells us that there is such a thing as an explanatory style. And let me give it to you very much in a nutshell. He basically says it's not about your experience. It's about how you explain what God is doing and what is happening to you in those experiences. In other words, the things that happen are not nearly as important as the way that you process them and say, I've learned from this. I've become better from this. I've become stronger from this. The things that I've kind of taken as silver linings from all of these things are, and you fill in the blank. Now, let's be very clear. Every single one of us has had some of these problems. Let's go to the don't miss this very quickly. The don't miss this number B that we've all had missteps, we've been misled, we've been misunderstood, we've made mistakes at some point in our life. Personal and spiritual maturity moves us past it. And can I tell you something? I don't want to say this because it's the negative side, but in the same way that personal and spiritual maturity moves you beyond it, a lack of those things keeps you stuck in them for long, long, long periods of time. Now, I want to talk about this for just a second. Psychologists will tell you, this is an extreme example, but psychologists will often tell you that if you deal with some sort of trauma, whether that be a physical, emotional, or or, or some sort of trauma that is very, very profound, that until you process that and get beyond that, You are almost stuck developmentally and maturity-wise in that place until you can make sense of it and then move on. This is what it's saying right here. Personal and spiritual maturity moves you beyond that point of trauma. But if you cannot grow beyond it, you will be stuck there. They have said that many times, and unfortunately, it is an epidemic that young girls are being molested in our our, uh, nation at alarming, alarming rates. But many of those young girls that are molested as young girls never get past the emotional and spiritual maturity of the young person that they were at the time of that trauma. Do you understand what I'm saying? I share that with you not to poke at a sore spot, but to be very clear about something. It is so important that we grasp that what happened to us, as terrible and awful as it might have been, has to be processed. It can't just simply be buried. I share this with you very quickly and in passing, but I have shared with you guys before, not all of you know because you know people come and go and some of you are new, but I personally have this in my past. So this is something that I had to deal with. I had to have conversations and get past in my past. And so when this stuff happens, you only move on if you bring it out and bring it to the light where it can be healed and you move on. Now, this is a part of my past, but for some of you, it's brand new news. It's definitely not something that defines me. It's something that is very different uh, and not something that's positive, but it's not something in any way that defines me. All right, let's move on to this next slide. And I want to talk about the tools for rebuilding. It, okay, yeah, I've had some stuff. I've gone through some things. So what is it that's going to rebuild me? Very, very quickly, I'm going to move through these things. It's scripture, like Romans chapter 12 and James chapter 1 verse 19, and and it's prayer that God working on both sides brings something powerful and beautiful out of these things that we would call ashes. Romans chapter 12, you can actually see up here, do not conform any longer to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You've got to change your mind about the way that you think of things. And in James chapter 1 verse 19 is this passage of scripture. And this is so important and so powerful in my life because I have a father who had a father who was not a good father at all. As a matter of fact, he had so many things going on in his life. His father was one of those that probably movies got made about and all of the dysfunction got passed down to my dad. And when it all happened, he was an incredibly angry young man. 
And when that stuff that he had to deal with and the way that he had to carry himself in the small town that he grew up in, it was threatening to define him. Instead, he came to this place instead of being angry and being a person who got in fights all the time because of how angry he was at the things that were not even provoking him. It was his dad. He said, I learned this scripture and every time I wanted to fight and every time I wanted to yell, and every time I wanted to scream, and every time I wanted to start some sort of altercation with somebody who had pushed my buttons, I started sharing this and speaking this out loud. James chapter 1, verse 19 and 20. Dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. That's his part, his, part, his spot right there. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness or the righteous life that God desires. Changed my dad's life, and he raised a son, not in anger or in frustration, but in healthiness and positivity, all because of God's word. It changed his life, and it changed our legacy. It's powerful stuff. Now let's go on very quickly. The rebuilding it's scripture, it's prayer, but also it's confessing and apologizing if you're on one side, or it's forgiving if you're on the other. So if you're one of those who's been hurt or wronged, you must forgive to move forward. Or if you are one of those who you know you have wronged someone, then you need to be confessing and apologizing and giving them the opportunity to move forward. And then we come back to that, that the explanation is bigger than the experiences. What you're experiencing is not nearly as important as what you tell yourself. You know what? God's still in control. God is still at work. God is still doing things in my life, even when it looks like he's not. Let's move on very quickly. I know my time is growing very short. Here's how you win over a loss. A victory begins in your mind. What you think about and how you tell yourself the story about what you've encountered, it begins in your mind. And very quickly, John Milton wrote these words. He said, the mind is its own place. And in itself, it can make a heaven of hell and a hell of heaven. And so the truth of the matter is, it's what you say to yourself inside that dramatically changes your path that you choose. Let's go on here. It begins in your mind and is evidenced by your words. That means if you're constantly saying things that tell you that you are not beyond this spot in your life, then pull it out of the dark. Person by person, find somebody safe. Slowly bring those things back and begin to deal with them. Your words will tell you if you're really beyond it or not. Because your words will give evidence to what's going on inside of you. So victory begins in your mind, is evidenced by your words. And then we go on here and then completed by your action. In other words, you have to act. You have to begin to move forward in your life and get out of that rut or you will stay there. No matter how good the words sound, the truth is, is that if you're not acting upon them, you haven't got to the place where in your mind and with your words, it is doing the place, it getting you to the place where things can become a part of your past, part of your story, but not the defining part. As I said earlier, lion-hearted lives have experienced all of these losses. They've taken the L plenty of times, but they just didn't let it define them anymore. And so this is so important that we understand we can win over a loss. Let's go to this next slide very quickly. This is from Winston Churchill. By the way, what a mug, right? That dude, I love that look. He's mean mugging at us right now. Success is the ability to go from one failure to another without the loss of enthusiasm. Go back and check out his life. He's got a pretty interesting story about how he was a hero to a zero and then back to a hero later on. Let's go to this very kind of ending slide. We begin to live less than lives when we take ourselves too seriously and when we stop taking God seriously enough. Here's what I would share with you. In my life and in yours, the defining thing is not what's happened to us. It's the fact that God has a plan for my life. God has a plan for my life. And when I lose sight of that, all of the losses pile up. 
But when I remain in that place and understand that whatever has happened is just backstory to what God is doing, it is a powerful reminder that God isn't finished. If I haven't won, the story ain't done. (laughs) It is so good to know that if I haven't won, then the story is not done because God is going to bring about his will and his purpose and his plan in my life and in yours. Let's go on very quickly. Three big questions. I normally just have one, but three. So what's your explanatory style? Are you positive or negative? Just, I'm not asking you to tell anybody, but you better be honest with yourself because most of us, we'd like to say, oh, I'm a positive person. But you also know that anytime something negative happens to you, figures, <laughs> my luck, just right on time and right on point, never changes. Murphy was an optimist, you know, all of these things that we say, right? In our own mind, is it positive or negative? And what do your words reveal about that inner dialogue? And then finally, what actions are you taking to redeem your past? Do you remember how we talked about in other parts of this message series that if you bring them these hurts and bring them to be a blessing to someone else, then they have a chance to be redeemed, brought back, purchased back. But if they are just your hurts and your past, then they will continue to define you if you're not very careful. All right, very quickly, let's move on here. Here's the I apply by. This week, make a very small change in your most needed area, whether that's your mindset or your words, or your actions. I don't know what is the most difficult for you, but these are the areas and these very small changes that you make. Whatever that is that the Lord is laying on your heart. Maybe it's speaking to somebody. Maybe it's seeking out help online. Maybe it's finding some articles about moving past where you've gotten stuck in your past. It's your mindset. It's your words. It's your actions. Just make one small change this week. And then in a couple weeks, do it again and do it again. And before you know it, those things that used to define you are no longer those things which tell your story. Your story is something altogether different. Joseph did not give up. And if he had, we would not know his story, but instead we know his story. Here's what he did. We're going to backtrack, if you don't mind, and we're going to go and read this passage of Scripture as we close. And that is, I believe, from Genesis chapter 50. Let's see here. I've got it written down. Number 21. Oh, you're already there. You're on point. Thank you so much. Joseph mourns Jacob's death as Genesis 50 comes on the scene. And we see this story, and Joseph in all these royal and regal robes is approached by the brothers that have wronged him. And they come before him and they say, Dad's dead. You know it and we know it. Are you still going to be a guy who treats us with dignity and respect? Or is it today that you decide you're going to get your revenge? You deserve it. We deserve what you bring us. Is today the day that dad's gone and he's no longer that buffer between us and you're going to give it to us, what we've earned and what we deserved all these years that you never did because you didn't want dad to see it? Is today the day? Here's what Joseph says. His brothers came and threw themselves down before him. We're your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. What happened to me is not nearly as important as the way that God is using it in my life. The experience takes subject to the explanation, and I see God's hand at work. God has used your experiences to develop you and make you who you are. The explanation of what he's done can set you free, but you have to embrace that. You have to let his explanation be yours and let it change you first in your mind, then in your words, and then finally in your actions where freedom is found. Very quickly, the butterfly effect. We come back to this. 
It's the very small changes. And I won't go into all of it, but it basically was told that whole thing of the butterfly effect was kind of a misnomer. And they found that the butterfly wings are about as small as the meteorological patterns that it would affect uh, were so incredibly small that theoretically it made that change. It has not ever been proven. It's just a theory. But I would say that beyond the theory of a life well lived, the decisions that you make that make very small changes in the way that you deal with your kids the way that you deal with your finances, the way that you deal with your husband or wife or spouse or friends or boss or whoever it might be, or the small changes that bring you back to God, these things can make huge impacts in the quality of your life, but you've got to let them. You've got to let those things change, and you've got to be willing to stick with those small changes that make big impacts. That's what it's all about. Heavenly Father, I don't know what each person has brought in in their own life that they have allowed to define them. But here's what I know. You are God and you are at work and you alone bring healing. We've tried all the other things that don't actually work. We've tried the self-talk and we've tried the, the burying it down and all these other pieces and parts that we've been sold in our world. But the truth of the matter is, is that you redeeming our past and us walking along with you, holding your hand and allowing you to guide us in your plan, that alone brings us peace and true healing. Be with us today, dear God. So very quickly, I'm going to ask you guys to stand. We're going to sing a song in just a moment. Would you guys please stand with me? And would you just bow your heads for just a moment? This has been an incredibly personal message. And I don't want anyone to necessarily raise their hand or anything of that nature. But just for a moment, if you know that this has been for you, Will you reach out to God with your own quiet words, your own internal dialogue? God, come and take this away and bring healing in its place. Make me willing to walk with you as you redefine my life. May this fear no longer control me. May this experience no longer be the cornerstone of everything that happens in my life. Instead, God, rewrite my story and begin today.